Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. If you own a small business, you might be asking yourself, can Tax Act help me do my business and personal taxes? The answer is yes. If the answer was no, it would have been pretty ill-advised of Tax Act to have asked that question in the first place. And Tax Act prides itself on not doing ill-advised things. In conclusion, Tax Act can help small business owners get their personal and business taxes done. Tax Act. Let's get them over with. Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation? Welcome to another exciting episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in true crime, and it will be the fastest hour and 15 minutes of your life. So buckle up and hang on. Special hello today to STS friend of the show and trial watcher, Debbie Gibby. Uh, shout out to her. Um, sad note, Richard Lewis just passed away from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh. Sad day. Yes, he just passed away. So uh, we were thinking of uh, him and his family. And look at this. Uh, Silver Linings is in here. They were just a guest on our show yesterday. Rex Connor. And Adam Cox, the uncle and brother of Lori Vallow Daybell. And uh, so the story, obviously, we are on uh, Michelle Traconis' uh, verdict watch. And uh, just so everyone knows, they wrapped their full day of deliberations at 4.46 p.m. Eastern time. I saw someone in the chat saying that they live in the U.K., but they are on Eastern Standard Time because of us and I. Kind of love to hear that. So uh, hello to you guys. Toronto, Ontario, of course, the home of Dan Markell. Um, so they they wrapped deliberations at 4.46 p.m. today, and they're beginning tomorrow once again at 10 a.m. They deliberated a short time yesterday. We'll talk to this amazing panel about why it's taken so long. Um, it all started more than four years ago. It was the morning of May 24, 2019. Jennifer Dulos a then 50-year-old mother of five went missing after dropping off her kids at school. Law enforcement launched a wide-scale search and investigation. Uh, and even though they never found her body, uh, police do say that the mom of five was killed by her estranged husband, Fotis Dulos, and uh, she was declared legally dead by a judge just this past October. 
course, outside of her, uh, the biggest tragedy in this are her five children who were uh, in court for closing arguments, along with Gloria Farber, uh, the mother of Jennifer Farber Dulos. Of course, we are thinking of their entire family as well. Fotis Dulos, uh, one of the main uh, characters in this story, he unalived himself um, in 2020 as he was awaiting trial. Um, a story, again, that is uh, stranger than fiction. And here to break it all down, our best guests. Uh, you're looking at Dale Carson. That's an interesting shot. I love it. It's like through a lens there. Son of Dale is the son of the former Jacksonville Sheriff Dale Carson. Same name. He had a distinguished career in law enforcement as a Miami-Dade County police officer and as a special agent of the FBI. How many lawyers do you get who are Miami-Dade police officers FBI agents, and then attorneys. So he's got a lot uh, to offer here. He's also the author of Arrest Proof Yourself. The, I think everyone might need that. The uh, Indispensable Guide to Avoiding Unnecessary Arrests and Interactions with Police, coming from a former police officer and now a uh, lawyer. Meanwhile, we've got Jonas Billboard, popular and outspoken attorney. In her own words, the COE was giving me some flack behind the scenes and i said to jonna do you hear that attitude and she, she said what attitude i hear nothing right uh, women is sticking up for women i love it um but she is an outspoken attorney a columnist and a legal analyst appearing regularly on fox news the business fox business network everything you can imagine she hosts radio shows she does it all and then you've got anjanette levy in the magenta a correspondent and host for law and crime network She's covered a ton of high-profile criminal cases in both state and federal courts throughout her career, including the trials of Stephen Avery, Brooks, Skylar Richardson, and Kyle Rittenhouse, and former Minneapolis disgraced police officer Derek Chauvin, who was stabbed in prison not long ago. Uh, Jonna, to you first, uh, what's taken so long? I kid. It's only been a day of deliberations, but they always say the longer it goes, the better for def uh, the defense. Do you agree? Uh, yep, 100%. And I'll tell you what's, quote, taking so long in this case is that, guys, there is reasonable doubt. There's reasonable doubt as to whether or not this defendant conspired to commit murder. In my opinion, there's no reasonable doubt that she was an accessory after the fact, which is a much uh, lower classification of crime, but a crime for which she has not been charged. They, they, you know, they picked it. They picked a lane. And I think in this case, they picked the wrong one. It was going to be difficult to prove a conspiracy to commit murder without first pr proving a murder without a body, without the main suspect. And that's what the prosecution set out to do. And frankly, I, I think this jury, not all of this jury is going to find uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. And. By the way, it is a um, six jury panel. We started with five alternates. That is uh, ended up at two alternates. Uh, three men and three women sit on this jury panel. Uh, Dale Carson was actually going to come on because uh, he's in Jacksonville to talk about Shanna Gardner. But because we're on verdict watch, uh, we are going to get his expertise. By the way, uh, thank you to Maui Swift, an OG uh, friend of the show, gifting five memberships here. and. Um, Dale, to you, do you agree with what Jonna just said? Uh, they've been out for a day and change. They're coming back tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Is this a positive sign if you are John Schoenhorn, the defense attorney? I don't know that you're breathing a sigh of relief, but it's better than the all, 
you know, alternative of coming back with some kind of guilty verdict right away, right? Well, I think John has, has hit all the high points. You don't have a body. You have a circumstantial case. The primary shooter is, or killer, is deceased. I mean, really, it's a horribly circumstantial case. And remember, the level of charges that have been brought against her are severe. I mean, she could spend 30 years in custody. And I think a, a more appropriate charge is accessory after the fact. I would absolutely agree. And as to the duration of the jury panel, I've been on them that, that in cases where they take a long time and they still find for the government. So I, it's a toss up for me. I don't know enough about the jury panel group other than the, the division. I'm surprised that there are only six on the panel in Florida for something like this. There'd be 12. Certainly in federal court, there'd be 12. And so when you have a smaller jury panel, it's easier to avoid a conviction, frankly. Yeah, and Dale, um, not only that, uh, it's par for the course from what we're hearing in Connecticut, uh, six, a six-panel jury, but also, believe it or not, there were no opening statements in this case, so the jury was just kind of flung in midstream. Um, have you seen that before with no opening statements? Connecticut you know, apparently have, doesn't. I have, and I've said that wrong. The smaller panel is more likely to convict than the larger panel. Okay. And yes, I have seen that before with no openings because – we frequently do that in our criminal cases. We let the government go, but the government generally does go. And certainly what happens here is when you vote dire a panel, they're going to know what the case is about anyway, because you're already asking questions. So if you're asking questions, they're going to know about it. Now, it's another matter entirely if they are already predisposed to make a decision here. And I think the, the the other lawyer here is correct. And forgive me, I'm not familiar with Jana. Jana like Donna, but with a J. Jana is absolutely correct that, you know, these charges are really, really uh, conspiracy, though it's an easy charge. Conspiracy, the government frequently charges that in these homicide cases. I'm involved in a case now in federal court. and But it, in this particular case, I think it's questionable as to whether or not they can return a guilty verdict because of the severity. Now, we all know, and many people don't, that in these kinds of cases, the jury panel can't do two things. They can't understand that they can nullify the charge by just saying, we're not going to allow the government to prosecute this case. They can do jury nullification. And another interesting feature is they can't know what the penalty is. So if they think that she's only going to spend a year in jail, that's one thing. But if they understand she's going to subject to much more time in custody, that changes the orientation of all of our panels. And it's a constant effort on defense attorney's perspective to try to get that information into the panel during Rodire, mm-hmm. which is when they are selected for the panel. And if you get yeah. caught doing that, the government's not very happy and often the judge is not very happy either. She may by the be way, very angry, in fact. By the way, we don't only uh, give out information about true crime here. Look at this, Sharon Choi. Hi, Joel. First of March here in Israel, it is midnight. Sharon, I believe it is a leap year in Israel as well. Uh, it is a leap year. There's 29 days in February this year. That gives you one extra day to pay your March bills. So that is a public service announcement 
from yours truly. Um, if it is different in uh, the country of Israel, let me know, and I will apologize, but I'm 99.9999% sure it is not. Sharon, hate to disappoint you. It ain't March yet. Uh, and Jeanette, yes. um, seven weeks of evidence. The trial began January 11th, 11th as we were just saying with Dale. Obviously, uh, it's been a long haul for these jurors. Um, before we get into what happened today, where they asked to hear uh, some more testimony or rehear testimony, um, what have fans of law and crime been like? I know STS Nation, um, and this is something that came up on our show yesterday, because Photos Dulos unalived himself and he is no more, there seems to be a little bit of a bloodlust for Michelle Draconis that she should pay uh, no matter what. Um, are you finding that um, in covering this story? I, I think there are, you know, there are a faction of people who do feel that way. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to be held accountable. But you also have to get the right person, right? I mean, the evidence has to be there. They have to be able to prove the conspiracy beyond a reasonable doubt. And the jury is obviously going back and forth on that. They heard a lot of evidence over the last seven weeks, um, a lot of stuff about cell phone testimony. Um, you know, I think that they do have her. Pretty frankly, they have her on, you know, disposing of evidence. She's in the vehicle with photos, photos. Um, but, you know, the conspiracy part, I, I don't know if they've quite gotten there on that. So they may be hung up on that charge, uh, quite frankly, or, or maybe not. Maybe they're just taking some time to go through the evidence from the very beginning. Juries kind of do that sometimes, and it's it can take quite some time to do that. So uh, I do think a lot of people, I mean, it's a horrible case. Think about it. She mm -hmm. is a mother of five children. Her mother is now the caretaker of these children. She's raising these children. And it's horrific. I think it's human nature to want somebody to pay for that. Um, but the person who who apparently carried out the crime is no longer with us. I still can't believe, Joel, and I said this last time I was on here, that they gave him bail because it's supposed to secure your appearance in court, your future court, court appearances. And guess what? It didn't. Um, so I, I'm still shocked that they gave him bail. But um, here we are. Yeah, uh, they gave him an out, and he obviously took it. Uh, the COE with this nice graphic, nine-plus hours of video, 200-plus uh, evidence exhibits, 27 days of trial. So that is uh, not a short trial. Um, Jonna, just to give you some awesome uh, facts, and then we'll get to Jonna for a question. Uh, the jury, like I said, began uh, its first full day of deliberations today, and two hours in, they send a note to the judge and they wanted to rehear testimony from Michelle Traconis's friend, a woman named Carla Patu Duperon. And I think the COE even pulled some sound that we'll play in a moment. Um, but this question is the obvious question from Liz Karen. Uh, why do you think the jury wanted, of all this stuff here, nine plus hours of video, 200 evidence exhibits, 27 days of trial, why did they want to hear from this friend again? I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may 
lower ability to fight infections. So tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You know, I thought about that myself too. And I do think if we're reading the tea leaves, it is a good sign for the defense because the defense did not put up much of a case. They put up a friend, they put up some sort of language expert and maybe one other witness, but not much of a case. So what does this jury want to rehear from the bestie of the defendant? And one of the key things, because and maybe it's me, but it struck me, one of the points that the prosecution honed in on is, hey, uh, Michelle Draconis lit a fire in the fireplace in May. Now, May is not traditionally a cold month at all. Uh, why would you need to set a fire? And one of the things that the friend testified to is she did it for ambiance. She did it to set the mood sometimes. Like it was not unusual for her to set a fire any time of the year. So if that was one of the key pieces of evidence that the prosecution wanted to use to prove this conspiracy to commit murder, because that would, uh, well, you know, that could also go to be an, an accessory after the fact. And again, she's not charged with that. Then I think that might be what the jury wanted to hear. Because you're look, if you're going to call your best friend to testify on your behalf, your best friend's only going to say good things about you, right? So this was something that was just sort of a, a an interesting fact about the defendant that this friend could explain away. That's my theory on that piece of evidence. And, and Anjanette, we're going to get back to the friend in a, just in a second. But a lot of people have been asking this. This is from Gio Marie. Uh, what is the evidence on the conspiracy charge? That's the one that a lot of people think that the jury might be hung up on. You know, we've heard about the bloody shirt and bra uh, DNA on uh, some of the um, bags. Um, but what is your take in terms of the strongest piece of evidence on this conspiracy charge? Or is there simply not enough to just tie her to this? Well, I, I think the fact that she's going along for the ride, I mean, you could say you could say that's only evidence of her disposing of evidence, but that's that's a big deal. I mean, I think it is. I think it it goes into the fact of, you know. I, I'm not sure how many people would just go along for a ride with somebody um, with trash bags full of bloody clothing, possibly a body, things of that nature, and, and go around town disposing of all of that. So um, maybe you could say that that's part of it. There was also, you know, some some talk about this phone call on Fotis's phone 
Um, and she apparently answered that call. Um, his phone was left at the house while this was this homicide was being carried out. And you could say she did that by accident or, you know, she just kind of picked up the phone because it was sitting there. But I don't know how many people really just go and pick up their significant other's phone when it rings. Um, you know, the, they would say that would be a, the prosecution would say that she was part of, you know, the alibi. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't I don't think there's like always this clear cut. I don't I don't think it's always like, oh, here's my, um, you know, here's my plan written out. Now, there was some stuff written out in this case, and it is kind of interesting. Uh, but does that all add up to, yes, I was part of this plan, a part of hatching this plan to kill Jennifer? Um, I don't know. I mean, and, I, I, I don't I don't know. And blurry lights basically said what you just said, uh, answering the pre-planned phone call from Fotis's uh, friend in Greece. Um, you know, apparently Michelle helped him create this entire alibi. I, pr I promise we're coming back to Dale in this whole uh, rehearing of witness testimony today. But, Jonna, there's this issue, too, in court. And if you can explain this, and I hope you know about it, because if you don't, then you can't. But uh, there's a contempt hearing, and I think it's going to be pushed off to March. Um I think it's going to be uh, heard by another judge. And it has to do with the fact that um, the defense showed some sort of sealed document in court. And one of Jennifer Barber Dulos's friends happened to see it. Um, how serious is something like this? So this is interesting. And what what little I do know about it is it, it wasn't in, you could argue it was not intentionally shown. Apparently, it was an exhibit up on a computer screen that was visible to the gallery behind where the defendant and the defense attorney sits. You know, what the reason for doing that intentionally would be um, escapes me, but for somebody to make noise about it, if it wasn't intentional, if in order to be held in contempt, and all contempt is and at its core is violating a court order. So in order to be held in contempt, a direction by the judge that you thumb your nose at, you have to do it intentionally. If it's unintentional, just like anything else, you're not going to be held responsible for that, not going to be thrown in the clink for that. But contempt, if you are guilty of it, is serious on a variety of levels. So, you know, she could, I mean, technically, wouldn't this be something if she walks on these criminal charges but gets a contempt charge and does 30 days in jail for that, which is entirely possible? That would be a, a funny not but yeah that <laughs> yeah i mean i'm again i'm with you guys i think the conspiracy is going to be the toughest to convict on but um some of these lesser charges which still uh apparently served 10 years uh that you know still a 10-year sentence associated with them um she could she could get nabbed on i think uh special shout out to nikki cuds gifting five surviving the survivor memberships the lifeboat my buddy tommy scoville turned his life around he spent time behind bars and uh now helping people with sobriety and uh thanking uh thanking him for thanking us or congratulating us um so dale carson back to this um testimony so this is michelle traconis's best friend basically the jury came out today uh two hours into deliberating and said we want to hear 38 minutes of this the 30 full 38 minutes of the testimony um what what are your thoughts on that out of all this evidence that we had just put up there um all of this stuff the nine hours the 200 exhibits why do you want to hear from a best friend in your opinion and then i'll play some sound well i 
let me just say a couple of things that, that hit me uh, about the conspiracy charge. The gravamen of, of conspiracy is one overt act in furtherance of a crime. So I am, want to rob a bank, and I call my friend and I say, get me a gun. He doesn't ask me why. He just gets me a gun, and he gives it to me. He has no idea what I intend to do. That is a prima facie conspiracy, okay? Not hard to prove. That guy does not have to know why I acquired the weapon. He just has to supply it to me. At least that's the federal law and the state law here in Florida. So it's a fairly simple thing to prove. It doesn't require a lot of complexity. And one of the arguments I constantly have with the court is when the court looks at the jury panel at the conclusion of the trial and says, if the government has met the burden of beyond a reasonable doubt, reasonable doubt, then you must convict. So that's fairly straightforward. That's not very confusing. I'm not happy with that sort of instruction to the jury panel. Now, as to how, why a witness is called, it first surprises me that it takes 27 days to present and defend a criminal case like that. In Florida, that might take six days. I'd be stunned if it did. I don't know what it is in other jurisdictions that allow this constant elaboration of evidence presenting to a, a six panel jury that much evidence over that period of time is got to be absolutely mind numbing and the studies reflect that most trials are determined within the first couple of days so i i don't fully understand what it is in california and other states that i have passing knowledge about where they allow these trials to go on just infinitely. But clearly, a jury panel with that much information, they want to hear the testimony because 90% of communication is in the delivery. It's in the way people say the things that they say. It's not necessarily what they say. It's how they are saying it. And that's true in our own personal relationships with other people. And it is absolutely true at trial. And I've watched defense attorneys shoot themselves in the foot constantly because they don't behave correctly and respectfully to the state and to the jury panel. It's a constant problem that takes years of training to be able to present your client in the most favorable light. And I didn't follow the trial, unfortunately, to see exactly how the defense acted. But if there are problems with the presentation of sealed evidence by the attorney, it occurs to me that that's time for a mistrial call. And I'm surprised that hadn't happened at that point. Not now. By the way, before you start sending me emails, why do you have a guest on that hasn't watched trial? I'll tell you why. This guy was a Miami-Dade police officer. He was an FBI agent. He is an attorney, and he's got a ton of experience. That's why. And his dad was sheriff of Jacksonville. So if I ever get a ticket in Jacksonville when I'm up there for a UFC fight, I'm going to say I know Dale Carson and see if I get out of my ticket. Um, and that's another reason he's on. Um, and Jeanette, to you, uh, from Heather, uh, and then we'll get into the sound. My thought is that the jurors were arguing about the evidence that the BFF claimed would clear Michelle Traconis. Did jurors think the po police were withholding when really the BFF wasn't uh, giving 
evidence here. Apparently on the stand, uh, when she when she gave her testimony, and I missed the day that she was on it, but we're going to hear a little bit. Uh, she had previously testified that Michelle Traconis was acting normal the morning that Jennifer Dulos was missing and also went on to say that Photos Dulos's reaction to a custody report was favorable, that he didn't go crazy when he saw some custody report. But curious, your thoughts about why they're kind of dwelling on this one person with all the other people. As Dale just said, this went on for weeks, this this trial. It could be, I mean, it could be just one little thing that she said. We we really don't know. Um, you know, it could be something that she said that maybe contradicted something the state said, or maybe they were looking to see if she is covering for Michelle in some respect, because I can't imagine, you know, everything we've heard about Fotis was that everything related to Jennifer and the children, he was irate about it. So I, I can't imagine that, you know, yes, Fotis was acting in a favorable manner uh, about some custody report because it, it just sounded like he was going ballistic about everything and Jennifer was afraid of him. Um, so it, it could have been related to that. We, we just don't know. It, it, you never know what jurors are really looking for when they ask to hear about something. Sometimes it's really obvious, but other times it, it's not. The stuff about the fireplace, mm -hmm. that could be pretty interesting as well. So it, maybe it's about the fireplace. Mm. Um, it's interesting. We had an attorney on yesterday, Jim Bergen, and, and for some reason on the show, he predicted, I don't know how he knew, that this particular uh, witness would be a focal point for the jury how he knew this yesterday i have no idea but he's a connecticut attorney followed the trial all the way through and obviously uh is pretty smart about this so uh, here's the sound her name is uh, carla pitu duperon uh let's listen um and see what uh she had to say with anybody no she came on home. and other than your partner at the store you and michelle was anybody else there at the time no how did Michelle seem when she was at the store with you that morning? She was uh, every like every single day that she came to my store. She sat down in front of my desk. We we were working both with the numbers. Um, do you want cash? Do you want a check? I prefer a check. So that was the interaction. Uh, like every single day, she used to come a lot to my store. Do you remember if while she was at your store, if she was on the phone or using the phone? No, I don't recall. All right. Um, do you recall what time she left your store? Yes, it was not more than 45 minutes when she arrived, so it was not like 12. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis, but Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. You just can't miss 
Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus best that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Uh, so, Jonna, I mean, the thing about her, and I'm not sure, uh, apologies to everyone, usually uh, on this software system, when I remove something, they get a full screen, but we're seeing little Jonna's, little Anjanette's, and little, uh, there we go. Um, maybe I'm supposed to hit a button I don't know about. Um, but, Jonna, the whole thing with this woman, um, Carla Pitou Duperon, and there's some people basically in the chat saying that they wanted to gouge their eyes out because it was so boring listening to her, but she's kind of underwhelming. I mean, it's not like... Um, like a critical law enforcement investigator who found something like, you know, a, a bloody bronze shirt. She doesn't really say very much. So why are they listening again? Why, what, what's going on here? Well, maybe maybe we got to read between the lines. So you've got this friend. <clears throat> she sort of humanizes the defendant because, you know, she is boring. She's just a regular person. And they became fast friends. And, uh, you know, maybe because one of the issues that came up in this trial was that English is not Michelle Traconis's first language. So there was some sort of language barrier. Now we've got two friends. It doesn't seem like English is this bestie's first language either. So, you know, they had this little click. And we also got through this witness a shot at the police because she, she's the one who basically said, I had information. I didn't come forward because I don't trust the police. Oh, well, isn't that a nice little bell you can't unring for this jury? So maybe maybe her best friend felt the same way. And that's why her best friend had three different versions each time she talked to the police, even though she shouldn't have talked to the police even once. But that's water under the bridge because she wasn't really represented well for that. So maybe all they're getting from this witness is Michelle Traconis is not a monster. Michelle Traconis is just a human being who misunderstood a lot of things. And oh, by the way, I don't think many people have talked about it, but other than being in a relationship with the now dead main defendant who can't be tried, what would her motive be to off her boyfriend's ex-wife? Like, seriously, Michelle Traconis has a child, too. Like, she doesn't need to kill anybody. She doesn't. But but I'm also hard pressed. I'm certain that her boyfriend did not kill Jennifer Dulos and not say a word about it to his lover. You know, she's probably the first phone call that he got after the fact. But that's not what she's being tried for. Uh, by the way, sad note here, Jersey Jen Castaldi, a friend of the show, stopping in for a few. Some of you uh, know, but my mom passed away Saturday. You all showed me so much love and kindness when the road was long, but she's no longer suffering. Much love. Thinking of you, uh, Jersey Jen. Sorry about that. Condolences from all of us to your family. And uh, it's tough. I'm going through it myself with my dad and uh, it takes a long time to heal. So we are here for you. Uh, if anything, maybe we can be uh, a distraction. So we are, uh, we're thinking of you and your family. Um, Annie Kay, uh, to Anjanette, um, your thoughts. 
on Michelle not being a sympathetic defendant. I mean, we hear this over and first of all, you hear a million times Jennifer Farber was better looking, you know, all these like sort of materialistic things. But uh, the fact that Michelle seemed disinterested, she didn't really pay attention to the jury, even though we're not looking at the jury. Uh, She's on her phone a lot. Um, how big an impact is that, do you think, um, for the jurors where you have someone who's kind of got like a, a resting scowl face or resting it rhymes with witch face? Uh, what do you what do you think of this? Well, I I, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's fair <laughs> to be um, <laughs> talking about her looks and stuff like that. Sure. I mean, I, I know that's what people do and that's the Internet and it's nasty and mean. Um, so I think it's awful. And women always take a lot of heat. Um, in this case, I think is very emotional and it gets people, um, it's upsetting. It's horribly upsetting to people. And as we said earlier, they always, people always want somebody to pay. And so I think that she makes for an easy target because Fotis Doulis is not here. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, it's never good. I think you should act interested. I think she shouldn't be on her phone. She shouldn't be, uh, waving or whatever. I saw a clip online the other day. She's waving or, or something to somebody in the courtroom. And I, I just think that that's never a good look. And her attorneys maybe should have um, talked to her a little bit about that. It could be a cultural thing. I don't know. Um, but when you're going on trial for something this serious or any trial, really, I think you just have to play the part in the courtroom. You know, you have to you have to look serious and take it seriously. Um, so I, I don't think it's a good thing when defendants act in that manner. Yeah. Um, Dale, how about this? I mean, this always comes up. Uh, she did not testify on her own behalf. It's her constitutional right. But then you always hear, does that bias the jury in any way? What are your thoughts on this, you know, about invoking that Fifth Amendment right? Well, it's a, a fairly ancient question. I think <laughs> for the most part, jurors want to hear an, a, a viable explanation. And if they don't hear it, even though they've been told that they can't hold that against the defendant, I believe that typically there are two things that are held against the defendant. The fact that they testify poorly when they do testify and their general appearance. And, you know, in other countries, you're allowed to substitute for a defendant. So you could put anybody you wanted on as a defendant and not the actual individual. I find that kind of fascinating. I didn't know that. Japan. Really? Mm. So, you know, we, we have a horrible tendency to just prejudge people. As you just spoke about the woman whose face doesn't perhaps look as pleasant as it might. You know, those are serious problems, and it's really difficult to get defendants, the client control, uh, as Jonah can tell you, is really critical. And once you're representing them, you have to have some real control because if you don't, then they appear outside the framework of the court, perhaps, uh, you know, in a flippant way, which tends to convey to other people, certainly uh, their guilt and, and not their innocence. Uh, the COE also just built this. Let's take a look at it together. Nikki Cudson, I always love hearing John's opinion. Uh, 
witness brought by the defense juror sent a note to the judge okay so she's just breaking the juror uh took notes while rewatching. so they were obviously you know riveted by they replayed 38 minutes of testimony um jonna to you um from the state um by the way before we get there let me i was thinking about this yesterday john john schoenhorn who is the defense attorney in this case um He's like a little acerbic. And one of the reasons this went 27 days is the guy had 27 million objections. And I get it. He's a criminal defense attorney. He's got a job to do and he's doing his job. Um, but just during closing arguments, again, I don't know why that black space doesn't get filled up. Oh, there we go. The magic button. Um, but, Jonna, do you think that Michelle Traconis would have benefited? And I asked this yesterday from a female criminal defense attorney in this case. Hmm. Or my sexist. The, um, it could am I, be both. Am I disgusting? No, you're not. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I don't think in this particular case it would matter. Sometimes we see it matter more in like, uh, sex crime cases, but, um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it did. And even though she didn't, you know, for example, we were just talking about her not testifying, you know, we did hear from her during this we heard from her during those three police interviews so the jury got to get a little bit of a feel for her and one of the other reasons why i think this case took so long is from the get-go and I, we might have talked about this the last time we talked about this case first the state had to prove a murder and they had to prove a murder without a body and without the the person that i think we're all pretty convinced committed the murder but if I were the defense attorney, in addition to making a lot of objections, I would have I would have argued that you can't really effectively prove a murder. You might be able to prove a killing, but that doesn't mean you can prove a murder. And if you can't prove the murder, you can't prove the conspiracy there, too. And maybe I, it, I don't know if that's going to resonate with the jury or if that's more going to resonate on appeal if she gets convicted. But I. I would place bets right now. I don't, I'm not feeling a conviction. I'm saying it. I said it. Uh, on all counts or just the conspiracy count? On the on the top charge. On the top charge. Okay. Tampering, uh, not a problem. All that, not a problem. Top charge, I'm not feeling it. Yeah, I kind of am with you on that, I think. Cat uh, Kansas here. Um, I don't know what the COE does this on purpose. She takes my comment down as I'm reading it. Cat Kansas, uh, to you, Dale, guilt or innocence will be determined on each charge separately. So do you think they are hung up on just one of the charges with your uh, vast experience at this point? No, look, I think John has got it absolutely right. First off, there is no body. There's no body. Simply because a judge somewhere sometimes says, well, you can collect the life insurance. It doesn't mean anything. There's no body. So the lack of a corpus is really critical to the perfection, if you will, of a homicide case. And, and the nuance that Jonna is trying to give us, I think, is that, look, if it was accidental, is it a homicide? No, it's not. So how do you prove that it was an intentional killing, a malevolent, a, 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 a heartless murder? That's really hard to do when you don't have a real defendant for the for the killing. And so I agree that it's going to be more difficult for that charge to be properly reached. But I'm always wary of a judge ammunition, admonition, correct that, to the 
to the jurors before they go into the room. Because if it's a strong instruction that they have to find somebody guilty, that's another set of problems entirely. And as to the, the defense attorney constant objection, we in our practice, and, and we do a lot of these cases here, we don't object like that any longer unless it's something that clearly is a potential appellate issue. Because once you start doing that just to confuse the delivery of information to the jury panel from the state, from the prosecutor, you really offend the jurors because they just want to hear what's going on. They are the triers of fact, and they're trying to determine the authenticity of the testimony. And when I just saw that clip from the uh, best friend testifying, I mean, part of that testimony involves the fact that the defendant in this case was just acting quite normally. Now, we all know, or we believe, that people who are involved in killings don't act normally afterwards for a period of time because they have a conscience. And so those are the critical features, I think, that the jury panel's looking at, and that's why it's going to take a minute because the government's brought a case that they think they should successfully prosecute and the person should be convicted. And the jury panel's just shaking their head and wondering whether they have to or not, and whether they will be remiss in their duty as jurors if they don't. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis, but Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus best that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, friends. Are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. And that's a great point. I mean, just, you know, I'm not an attorney. I'm a broadcast news guy, formerly a broadcast news guy, but I watch it. And it is difficult when the defense attorney, I mean, to me, he seemed to object, um, uh, and like you said, every jurisdiction is different with different tactics, but he objected a lot. And it really, if I was a juror, it would have annoyed me. Um, Jody Arrington, this is a great, go ahead, Jonna. I was just going to say, so I'm going to take issue with both of the men on the panel. I'm an objector. I am an objector 
when the other side, when the prosecutor is not following the rules and I got to break his or her flow because the judge is going to let him get away with it, I object. And funny point, my very first jury trial ever in my life, the judge pulled me back in chambers and told me to stop objecting. <laughs> Did it stop me? No. No, but I do. I think it's a I think it's a fair tactic. I think it's good for the record on appeal. And, you know, I don't want to piss off the jury either, but you can't let anybody run roughshod over you if they're not following the rules. That's well, I, I, listen, I agree with that. And if the prosecutor is not well versed in their practice, if she's not good at what she does, then she's going to make a lot of mistakes. Mm hmm. But, but I'm assuming in a case of this magnitude, you've got a pretty competent prosecutor. You certainly would in my jurisdiction. You yeah, know this, you assume. <laughs> I, I think I think Michelle Manning. You know, the lead, I, I, yeah, I've I seen think she's, some big cases where I was like, <laughs> have they ever done a murder case before? <laughs> like you're like, really? <laughs> uh, this comment here is actually very um, poignant. Uh, no one will actually ever know what exactly happened to Jennifer. And that is just so sad to me. R.I.P. Uh, darling Jennifer. And uh, that very well might be true. And the notorious COE put her comment in before I put her comment in. Um, back to you, Jonna, since you're the attorney and you're closest to Connecticut. Uh, can you address the process? How often do jurors deliberating go back into a courtroom? This was unusual. It wasn't like they were in the jury deliberation room. They went into the courtroom to rewatch testimony. So they sat back in the jury box in front of the uh, the state, the defense, and the judge. How unusual is that? Yeah, it's a little bit unusual. Most of the time, if there's going to be any readbacks or reexamination of evidence, which sometimes is not allowed, it usually happens in the deliberation room. But uh, Connecticut has surprised me. It surprised me that they only have a six-person uh, felony panel for a jury. That really surprised me. It surprised me about not, no, excuse me, not having opening statements. That surprised me. Although sometimes the defense will waive theirs, at least until the close of the prosecution's case. That surprised me. So, and it kind of depends on the individual judge's rules too, as to how you're going to do it. And if you're allowed to do it, whether you can take your notebooks, not take your notebooks. And that's another thing. They were taking notes during this um, re-examination of this testimony, which I don't know if I would have allowed that, but they were. So it's all, it's all interesting. Um, so so on to closing arguments, which were, you know, pretty strong uh, on both sides. Some say the state was maybe a little bit stronger um, to you uh, and Jeanette. The state basically said, and I'm obviously paraphrasing here, we'll go through a bunch of different points that each side made. But basically, the state said that Michelle Traconis must have known about the murder and the conspiracy because she answered his phone. We talked about this a little earlier. Fotis's cell phone rang. He left his cell phone behind, but it rang on May 24th and uh, she answered it. Um, and people say, well, that was done as an alibi. Uh, and later that day, of course, accompanies uh, Fotis Dulos on the now infamous um, trip around Hartford, Connecticut, where he's disposing of these bags. And the bags contain uh, bloody clothing, zip ties, Jennifer's DNA. So, you know, it's, it's almost like trying two cases in one because you've got Fotis, who almost everyone um, agrees is, you know, the mastermind and the person who carried this out. But how do you comport like the two, Anjanette? 
how does the state get from, yes, she answered his phone to this conspiracy charge? Are you with John aware they just don't have enough right now? Well, I, I don't know if they have enough, but I was just thinking about something after we were talking about the, the friend's testimony. And I was kind of wondering whether or not, even though the friend said, look, she would come to my store. She went to her store that morning. Um, she said it was something she would do sometimes, but I wonder if the state thinks in some fashion that that was part of an alibi as well to give Jennifer an alibi, like, or I'm sorry, to give uh, Michelle an alibi, like, oh, I was at my friend's house or I was at my friend's store. And then she answers this phone call from, you know, a friend in Greece. I mean, is if Dale is right, that it is just one overt act is answering that phone call the one overt act that makes the conspiracy? I don't know. But um, I was just thinking back uh, about the friend. I I'm thinking, is that part of the conspiracy, giving her an alibi, go hanging out with at her friend's store for a little bit? I don't know. Well, um, so the phone call, I think, is interesting. I would be interested to know how often Michelle, if Fotis left his phone behind and how often he left his phone behind, because it seems like awfully coincidental if you're going to go kill somebody um, that you just happen to leave your cell phone behind. People do that because they don't want their cell phones tracked. They, they don't want it following them along the way. And the only reason you would have somebody answer the phone is to make it look like you are answering the phone. So I think the phone call could potentially be important if they have other evidence they think kind of backs that up. Because I, I don't know if just the phone call will be enough. I would say, Beth, go me, go ahead, Dell. Uh, let, me, let me speak to that for a second, if sure. I may. Sure. And, and certainly it's true about the phone. I don't know that that's sufficient. Unless you can, you know, I don't know whether you've heard the term Occam's razor. But yeah. what yeah. it says is simply the simplest solution is it. They make a watch that I have now that I can press it to find my damn phone. And I use it frequently because I forget it. Part of that is because I don't like it, the phone, very much. But I lose it all the time. I put it someplace I can't remember. it. So if, you, if you're in a room and a phone goes off, what is your like the reaction to that? Well, you're going to find the phone. You're going to pick it up. You're going to answer it. So that's not all that unusual, and that's pretty simple to make this connection between foreigners calling and later being able to testify about what, his location? I don't think so. So I think this is just another one of those red herrings by the government where they're saying, because of this, that's the reason that happened. And that's the danger of these conspiracy cases, because it's so easy to connect the dots once you see the dots, you can say, all right, well, that's where it goes. But the dots seen another way can go in an absolute different direction. And that's what we as, as lawyers have to prevent juries from doing. And that's what can be, that's part of the, that's part of the operation of our practice is to get the right view, the truth to the jurors. And a lot of people think the defense attorneys go in there and they lie and they cheat and they obfuscate, all of those kind of things. That really, as John, I could tell you, isn't true all the time. There may be lawyers who do that. I'm certainly not one of them. Me neither. But I, I just, I'm there to find the 
truth of a matter. And oftentimes the government wants to have its own truth. And that's not unusual for us to see from the government's behavior generally today anyway. Um, I always say best guess, better community. Great questions are coming in here um, to Jonna, the other attorney uh, from misdemeanor OG, who is an OG. Um, how can you prevent stealth jurors from getting chosen during a voir dire? Um, how do you do that? Do you bring in a jury consultant ever, Jonna? Isn't that something? No. Um, no, I have not brought in a jury consultant. And I think it's more of a problem when you have uh, a very famous case, right? A case where jurors think either either A, they have their own axe to grind, or more importantly, B, they can make a buck having been a jury on a, on a famous case. Like if you were, uh, oh, what's his name? Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, right? Who was going to want to get kicked off that jury? Not a soul. So I think it's more of a problem in that regard than it is um, in any other regard. But when you're when you're simply when you're asking voir dire, in order to avoid having jurors on there that have their own axe to grind, you have to ask them the questions. And we often do. And voir dire can take a very long time if they have any similar circumstances. What you know, in this case, you're going to find out if any of them are divorced what their divorce was like. Did they have custody battles? Did they want to kill their ex? I mean, um, there was a, a, not to go off on a tangent, but this is something, Joel, that we should, maybe we could get her on the show. Mm. Do you guys remember the case of Clara Harris by any chance? I do not. 2003, and I'm going by memory because I wrote about her a long, long time ago. 2003, she was the mother of twins, 44 years, 44 year old dentist. Husband was cheating on her. And got caught by her own investigator. And while he was in the act or he walked out of the hotel room, she got in her Mercedes Benz and her own investigator recorded her running him over. Not once, <laughs> but twice. So but oh my God. there was so much sympathy. She, uh, she was so sympathetic, believe it or not. But that was like oh. a, a crime of passion. She ended up doing 20 years. She recently got out. I'm dying to know what she's going to do with her life now, because that was just a really people empathized and or sympathized with her because and that's the type of person that you want maybe on or off this jury. Somebody who knows what it's like to go through this kind of custody thing or this kind of heartbreak. You really got to pick and choose your jurors carefully. Steve Cohen, Claire Harris. (laughs) it's really hard (laughs) to get good jurors and one of the problems is that people who are would be a good juror who have life experiences and and have lived through divorces and and seen things they don't want to be on a panel because it takes time out of their existence so the people who typically end up in a panel and we've got 24 of those on a panel right now in federal district court. And so, and they're actually on two separate juries, but finding good people to be on those panel is extraordinarily difficult. And that is another worrisome thing about panels in general, because if you don't have worldly people, people who've been around, they tend to get really sympathetic with either side of the prosecution or the defense. And the result is you don't have a fair verdict. Uh, Very simply put, I like that. If there's a mistrial, Jonna, uh, is this guaranteed uh, that the state will retry or is it up to the state if they want to try it again? What do you think in this particular case? 
It's always up to the state, but with such sympathetic victims, I mean, the mother and the children, I don't know. They really have to think about it because it's one of these things where, again, without a body, this was going to be an uphill battle for them, I think. And without the main suspect, this was going to be an uphill battle for them. They might not want to put all of that into it again, but what they might do, especially if she gets convicted on the lesser charges, maybe they'll say to her, we will avoid going through all this again, but you're going to have to, I don't know, cop to involuntary manslaughter or something. I mean, I personally, if I were representing her, I wouldn't enter into that, to that deal. But a lot of times those talks happen behind the scenes after a mistrial and before the new decision is made to try again. Yeah. Um, and Jeanette, obviously, uh, both of us being in media, we know, you know, what catches people's attention and what what grabs eyes. And in this case, uh, from Hope Hart, how do you get around the bloody clothes and the bag that they threw out? Of course, a bloody shirt and a bloody bra. And that was uh, exhibited in the courtroom. You know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, Court TV or Law and Crime is going to do a promo. They may even show uh, those items. And. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus best that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, friends. Are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Again, Fotis is sort of the, the main player here, but how do you, if you're the defense, how do you get the jurors to not associate what they're seeing there, that bloody bra and bloody shirt, with Michelle Traconis having something to do with it, especially since her DNA was found on those, uh, some of those bags. I, I think it's really hard. I mean, all they can do is uh, try to say, look, you know, she was in the car or she, her DNA could have transferred onto the bag or, you know, whatever um, argument they could make related to that. But I, I think it's very difficult. And she was, she was clearly along for the ride in the disposal of the evidence. So, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be really hard for them to separate um, the bloody clothes, the blood itself, the bags from Michelle Traconis. So, um, you know, I, I think they can 
their best bet is just to, you know, say she she may have been in the vehicle when the you know when the disposal was taking pl- taking place, um, but she was certainly not part of any plan to murder um, Jennifer Doulos. She did not know this was happening. I mean, that, I think that's all, all they can do, and that's what they said. Yeah, and I, I think viscerally, that's the kind of thing that obviously uh, sticks with a jury when they see that. But um, Dale, this is um, an interesting question from Tam Gold. If tampering with the evidence doesn't mean you are cons- uh, if tampering with the evidence doesn't it mean you are conspiring regarding the disappearance? I think if you're tampering, doesn't that mean you're also conspiring? How do you how do you separate? Right, right, the right. Two? Well, one, it's when it happens. So if if it happens after the crime, then it isn't conspiracy. It's accessory, as John is telling, telling us and instructing us. But let me mention something about DNA. You know, and I've fought as a defense attorney for years to try to prevent the government from taking DNA. And what we're finding now is that you slough off DNA all the time now with new technology. They're able to pick it up any place you've been, you've left DNA. And that's why one of the formative questions for law enforcement, who I used to teach when I was an FBI agent, is you got to preserve the crime scene. You can't let anybody else go into it. And it's because today we can get just all kinds of DNA. So if she was ever in that car, if that guy was ever near her, it's possible there's transference that's occurring and that could end up anywhere. So in reality, it doesn't mean anything at all other than the fact that her DNA, something that's connected directly to her, somehow got on a bag. But it certainly doesn't make the argument, in my mind, sufficient to demonstrate that she had anything to do with a homicide, if there was a homicide. Uh, Dale, I just want to get your take on this, too, from Leo Wren. Doesn't the six-person jury perhaps lead to slower deliberation Six people get to know each other more during the process and perhaps leads to more discussion. Mm. That is uh, with 12, you uh, you can hide more. That's an interesting take. They're kind of uh, all face to face here. That's absolutely right. And I I made that correction. The, The bigger the jury panel is, the longer it takes, but the more likely it is that somebody will get off because there's confusion internally. And particularly if one's a holdout, you know, and, and we see examples today where after the trial, jurors certainly complain about being forced to make a decision or because the vote was not as authentic as it should be. And people lied during that conversation with the prosecution of the defense because they lied. We get reversals. So, yes, it's true. Smaller jury panels, they perhaps get along better, but there's no guarantee of that. You know, you've met someone you just disliked for no reason at all or someone you really liked for no reason at all. That certainly has occurred on the jury panels that I'm familiar with. Uh, John, we see here uh, verdict watch six jurors, three women, three men. They're allowed to take notes and rewatch testimony, which they did today. I think they watched the entire testimony given by this best friend that ran 38 minutes uh, so far, deliberating five plus hours. Uh, John, one of the things that was um, kind of humorous, sort of, kind of, uh, despite the heavy subject matter, is uh, the defense attorney, John Schoenhorn, basically in closing argument said, hey, this is not a movie. Uh, 
he he thinks that they're linking Michelle Traconis just because uh, to the crime because she was romantically linked to Fotis Doulos. That was one of the arguments. But he said this is not a movie. In fact, a TV movie was made about the case on Lifetime. It's called Gone Mom. And uh, for those who do not know, Jennifer Doulos was actually a member of a very wealthy New York City family. Uh, she's a niece through marriage to Liz Claiborne, who's the uh, fashion mogul. Uh, again, the body we were talking about was never found. Michelle Traconis, a lot of people has, have asked about this, also had a um, dual citizenship here and in Venezuela. Uh, she even at one point hosted a show um, in uh, in South America for ESPN. But um, this does have sort of the makings of a Hallmark movie or a Lifetime movie. And how do you remove, and I think that's what he was trying to do, but how do you ensure if you're the defense attorney that you're removing that emotional connection, again, going back to the bloody bra or the bloody shirt and this, maybe this bloodlust because um, Fotis Dulos, a man who everyone across the board thinks committed this crime, is mm -hmm. not with us. How do you prevent the jury from kind of going after her um, in, in almost in place of him? Yeah, that's exactly the challenge for the defense, because that's also precisely, I think, what the state wants to have happen. They want, you know, defendants are not fungible. You can't just pick one up and put one in the dead guy's seat and say, OK, just now get her now. And so they the prosecution walked a very fine line with that. And if you don't, as a defense attorney, make sure you get in the heads of those jurors and and basically tell them. This is what you cannot do. This is what you have to look at when evaluating the evidence. This is what you have to keep in mind. That's all you can do because we're not allowed back in the deliberation room. We're not allowed when they have a question or somebody's reading from a note when they shouldn't be reading from their own notes. We're not back there to stop that. So you got to hope during that 27 day period where you sat next to your client, maybe you put your hand on her shoulder or, you know, you whispered things to her, you gave her a smile. You got to hope for that 27 day period of this trial, the jury was paying attention to you, to her and to the witnesses. Because one of the things, and I don't think he brought this up. I don't think the defense attorney brought it up. When you have a weak case as a prosecutor, you have more dots that you need this jury to connect, right? It's like throwing everything up against the wall to see what stick if it sticks. If they had a strong case, um, like we've seen some, like we, there was a strong case right before this, uh, the Montgomery case where there was no body, <clears throat> but there was a, an eyewitness who put the person at the scene of the crime committing the murder of his daughter. When you have a strong case, you don't need as many moving parts. When you have a weak case, you got to throw all this up and then hope the jury connects enough of the dots that they get beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what happened here. It's not fair. And I, I don't think it's going to be effective as to the top charge. Uh, from Stark to uh, Anjanette, what percentage of jurors do you really think take their oath seriously? For example, not reading headlines, social media, YouTube. I personally think it's impossible to avoid any media. And certainly in 2024, it's a lot harder than when, uh, you know, Dale or Jana started their careers. Um, now it's virtually impossible uh, to do that. What is your take on this, uh, Anjanette? Well, I mean, I would. I would like to hope that they all take it seriously. I would hope to, I would hope at least 95% of them do. Um, we all, we always, we know that a lot of them don't. I mean, I've, I've served on a jury twice. I, you know, I've 
was on a murder case like 20 years ago where I served as a juror and we had a juror, I think that was looking at the news and one that was asking questions about penalties and they got kicked off, you know, the judge excused them. Um, so, you know, I, I would think that I would like to say 95%. Um, I think the news coverage part of it is, um, really hard to avoid these days. And it's because of these, because of cell phones, because, mm -hmm. A lot of people will get the push alerts or they'll they'll get Facebook stuff. And and a lot of people, though, it is shocking to me, but a lot of people don't watch the news, which I drives me crazy. But a lot of people don't pay attention to the news. <laughs> so um, I think the temptation, though, could be there in a case like this where there is news coverage every day. Uh, but but I, I would like to think that at least 95 percent of the people take it seriously. I think you are always going to have people who maybe are kind of peeking and looking at stuff that they shouldn't be looking at. And I hate to say that, but I think it's the truth. Um, uh, back to Dale here from the Philadelphia shoulder surgeon. Uh, what about, uh, can the jury be hung on one count and then convict her on all the other charges? If so, do they just wash that one count? What happens to that one count? Yeah, that that's what we're suggesting will happen. Uh, John is exactly right. I think they'll, may convict on some of the charges, but not the top charge. So yes, they could, you know, they're each on a separate form, essentially, and they check a block uh, to determine after they've talked about it, to determine what they feel, where they feel the state has met the burden of beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a process. And of course, if you have a jury panel that has been there for 27 days, you would think that they would be anxious to get out of there, but you might also have panel members who wanna charge one thing and other panels who don't wanna charge that, but they wanna charge this. So that makes it much more confusing. It's much easier if you have one charge and that's it. Uh, nine Nira, uh, back to Anjanette on this one. Why would, uh, Fotis Dulos take her along when he was making trips uh, to the trash bins if she wasn't already in the know? So many people have asked this question in chat. How could she not know? That's a that's actually a very good point. Um, I don't know why he would take her along um, unless he needed help, extra help um, actually disposing of the body. I mean, that's a really difficult thing to do, not to be gruesome. And I say that every time I talk about this, but I don't think people fully understand just how difficult it is um, to dispose of a body, um, whether you are burying it, whether you are burning it, dismembering it, all, all of it. It's it's really difficult. It's laborious. It's arduous. Um, so maybe he needed help. Um, there's been discussion about digging a hole. Uh, and that's my only thought was that he, he couldn't do it by himself. He was mm -hmm. maybe too exhausted from doing, uh, carrying out the actual crime, uh, the, the actual murder. I mean, there was talk about paper towels being missing from the, the house and, and all of that. So, um, that would be my thought. Yeah. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, he's a fan. Anjanette is amazing, amazing. Just saying, you can see it right on the screen. He's watching. The oh show. well, I'm a uh, big Samuel L. Jackson fan too, so that's really cool. You, well, that's that's awesome. I'm happy to hear you guys have some synergy. Jane Brown.
Uh, love this channel. God bless the kids. I can't have Sam Jack. He's begged me to come on, but he curses too much. So I told him no way. He uses the <laughs> F-bomb too much. Um, Jonas Bilbour. Uh, there's this guy, Kent Mawinney, and people thought, well, he was going to take the stand. I hate to put you on the spot if you don't know much about Kent Mawinney, but he is this former uh, friend of Fotis Dulos, who they uh, they say is also he's going to face the same charges. Uh, but they mm -hmm. thought he might turn state's witness. Any idea why he didn't? Um, he's been it's been very quiet regarding him so far. He's not going to turn state witness. I mean, he's. He's another one who's going to get tried and they're going to try to make him fungible and uh, associate him so much with Fotis Dulos that they want to convict him too. Now, his butt is in a sling because he was an attorney. He's probably lost his license by now or maybe he's close to it. And he's being accused of helping his client commit a crime, which you cannot do. And I don't know. I don't care how friendly you are. I've got a couple of very good friends. Would I help them commit a crime? No. Would I represent them zealously once they get popped for committing that crime? Yes. And you cannot, cannot cross that line. And they're accusing him of crossing the line. Whether he did or not, I'll be honest with you, I haven't dug into his side of this enough to know whether he did. But correct me, is he the one, is he the one that came out initially and said, gave the whole gone girl theory? Or was that a different counsel? Anjanette, do you know? Because I'm not 100% sure. I, I don't remember, but I can Google it really quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank God for the Google. I do not yes, remember that. Yes, Google is my friend. Um, by the well, way, uh, here's a poll we did today, and I'm going to let Dale hop right back in. Michelle Traconis is not guilty, 12%. Guilty, 54%. Uh, not guilty for conspiracy. Other charges, 26%. Hung jury. Uh, 9%. So, uh, but, but look, STS nation, you guys are true crime watchers. Uh, you're not supposed to be, uh, I don't think like the jurors who are supposed to be much more impartial, but we will, uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, Dale, go right the, ahead. The, I had some the, questions. The prosecutor's train, the government's train is a long train. And if you get on it, you never know where you're going to end up or when. So it's always in the best interest of anybody who's thinking about cooperating with the government to have the advice of a really competent lawyer. And so people don't just turn states evidence when they have everything to lose. And I think that's kind of a misunderstanding. Now, co-conspirators who are directly involved, you know, the first one who gets on the government train generally ends up with the most comfortable ride. But that's a different situation than what we have here. Um, John, uh, a couple more things just that the defense threw out, and then we'll get closing thoughts and, and wrap it up. But um, John Schoenhorn, again, the defense attorney, who's very competent. Um, it's just, you know, I don't think some people loved his style, but he's been around for 40 years uh, in that part of Connecticut and tried a lot of big cases. But he basically began closing arguments, John, by, by saying, and again, I'm paraphrasing, whatever Fotis Dulos's role was, my client did not know that Fotis Dulos planned to harm her. Uh, she did not know that Fotis was capable of doing something like this. He was kind of keeping it... Um, in the hypothetical. And then at one point I thought it was interesting. Um, he says that, you know, it's still unclear what happened, but then he ultimately concedes that Fotis is responsible. It was this whole weird thing where he said, look, Michelle's not, you know, she may have been with him. 
She's not connected to the crime. We don't even know if Fotis is connected to the crime. We don't know if Fotis did this. And then he ultimately says, look, I'm going to tell you, I think Fotis did this, but my client is still not guilty. What was the strategy in doing that? It seems like he didn't need to say that part, but he did. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. I think he said out loud what everybody else is thinking. I mean, even look at the four of us, right? You know, Fotis is dead. There's no body. But if you if you pull us right now, 100% of us are going to think that he killed her. What we don't know for sure is whether it was a murder, whether it was a manslaughter, whether it was self-defense. Um, so I think he I think he ended up saying that because that's what's in the juror's mind. And really what he needs to leave that jury, hopefully he did. The question is, what did Michelle Traconis know and when did she know it? So if she didn't know anything about the, the death of Jennifer Dulos until after she was riding shotgun and he's handing her garbage bags and saying, toss this one here, honey. And then she finds out that he's committed a crime that does not make her a co-conspirator. If she knew ahead of time and she does that, then she is. And that's the fine line that this jury, this prosecutor and this defense attorney has to walk. Hmm. Uh, this is an interesting catch here from Mandy Strong. Uh, over to Dale, isn't it standard jury instruction to tell the jurors they are not to consider penalties? I don't recall that specific instruction on this one. Is that something that a judge has to tell uh, the jurors who are about to deliberate? No, but it's a mistrial if you tell them. And they don't, the judge will not say to them, it's just like it's, it's the elephant in the room, which nobody speaks to. And you're not allowed to by bar rules and certainly by rules of evidence. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not somebody committed the crime or not. It only has to do with what the potential penalty is. But the reality is that jurors used to be more informed and they're not as informed today as they perhaps once were. 
A uh, shout out to Amanda for gifting a membership. Uh, Jonna, uh, and I'm just going back to Jonna because she's the other attorney, and Jeanette, no offense, but uh, <laughs> this is uh, the state's closing remarks. Um, the very end, basically, they said, look, it was all a cul- culmination, uh, Jonna, the frustration of not seeing the kids for a year and a half. Michelle Traconis got really sick of it, too. And then they go on to describe Michelle Traconis um, as very angry, toxic, and manipulating. And this, again, when you're picking quote unquote sound bites from uh, this trial, uh, she is reported by uh, Fotos Doulos' co worker um, to have said, this is Michelle Traconis, that it rhymes with witch, that witch should be buried next to the dog. Uh, now, if I'm a juror and I hear, um, a person delivering that testimony who worked for Fotis Doulos, I know that that's going to stick in my ear when I go to deliberate. How problematic is that one line for Michelle Traconis? Well, it was refuted, right? So it's going to depend on whether those jurors believe that she actually said that or not. And again, if any of those jurors had their own custody struggles or have spent any time in family court, guys, this is something we see and hear. I'm in family court practically every day. And it's every day. It's amazing how people who once loved each other enough to procreate together can literally want to murder murder that same person when they've got to pay this or they can't see their kid for that. They have to timeshare their children. It's ugly. But um, most of the time, thank God, it doesn't wind up with somebody being dead. But it's but it's real. So it's going to depend on the life experience of these jurors and if they they should discount it. You know, she, if one person said she should have been buried with the dog and the other person said, no, I never said that, jury's going to have to weigh that and figure out which is true and which is not. Uh, Space Coast on the West Coast, Joel turns down celebrities asking to be on STS. Adam Sandler called yesterday. I said, no way, get lost. <laughs> um, look at this. This hurts my feelings. Joel needs different glasses. You know, I was thinking about my glasses the other day and wondering, is it time for new ones? But I can't because... I need to keep these. It's not time for new glasses yet, but I will get to them at some point. Final question for Dale, and then we'll get final thoughts here. Uh, Dale, I just wanted you to weigh in. So uh, the state said, look, uh, we saw blood spatter, blood soaked shirt and bra and zip ties, sponges and duct tape. Fotis took this employee's car. Jennifer went with him, went to throw out the bags. The DNA was on there. Um, anytime you're talking about blood spatter, blood evidence, um, again, to me, that is something very tangible that sticks in the craw of the jurors. Do you agree or no, um, in this particular case? Trace evidence. Again, that's what this is and it's transportable. So anyone who understands the nature of dust can understand that this, her DNA could easily be on someone else and delivered someplace else. And then you've got to question the reality of crime scene investigations. You've got to question whether or not the DNA was done properly. All those become issues, which if you're using that one narrow point to convict her, then we're all at risk. And I just want to, Joan has said one thing that's really interesting, and that's that love, hate, and divorces. And I often remember my defendants with, on their knuckles, the love and the hate. You know, it's one thing is what it is. Someone's phone's ringing. I hope that's not Fotis Dulos calling right now. Um, 
Love your channel, Joel. Look at this. Finally caught a live watching from the UK. Um, person I love to have on live all the time, even if someone's phone is ringing, is Anjanette Levy. She's a correspondent and host for the Law and Crime Network. She's covered tons of big cases and is going to be covering a ton more big cases. Anjanette, I asked this yesterday. I will ask you. I will put you on the spot. How much longer does the jury deliberate? And is it guilty across the board, not guilty, or a combination? Um, well, definitely not past Friday <laughs> because this jury is not going to want to come back next week. Um, so tomorrow's Thursday. Um, you know, at 27 days, that's a lot to go through. That's a lot of trial. And I could see them being hung on the conspiracy to commit murder, but finding her guilty on the tampering with evidence um, and the other charges. So um, I don't know. It could be if they're hung. I, I don't know if they do Allen charges in Connecticut. I'm assuming they do something like that. Um, so they could be sent back in and, uh, but definitely not past Friday for sure. There we go. You heard Friday, uh, Dale Carson, son of the former Jacksonville Sheriff Dale Carson. He was also a Miami Dade County police officer, special agent with the FBI. And, uh, he is a very savvy, uh, trial lawyer, author of the book, arrest proof yourself, arrest proof yourself, the indispensable guide to avoiding unnecessary arrests and interactions with the police. Uh, Dale, what do you think? How much longer does this jury deliberate? And will we see uh, conviction on some of the charges, but not all the charges? Right. Friday is the day because people don't want to be there after 27 days and a week of deliberation. You're going to want to go home. But if somebody holds out and you end up with a hung jury and there is an Allen charge, which requires the jury to go back and try to reach some response, then it could last longer. So the longer it lasts, I'm with Jonna about this. The longer it lasts, the better it is for the defense. It makes me nervous to think that my whole life is in someone's hands and it's all based on the fact that it's the weekend, that it's TGIF and uh, people have got to hit the bar or whatever at five o'clock. It's the five o'clock Friday whistle. Uh, Michelle Tricone is uh, her, her her life is up against that whistle. Jonas Billboard, popular and outspoken attorney, a calmness, a legal analyst, appearing regularly on Fox News Channel, the Fox Business Network, all the other networks. She hosts radio shows. She does it all. Absolutely love having her as a guest. This is um not something people can say out loud, but I can tell you that the COE said this out loud, and then I'll bring it down. Fotis was a waste of a good-looking man, LOL. COE got mad at me when uh, I uh, announced that she had mentioned that. Uh, Jonas Billboard, mm -hmm. your final thoughts. How long do they deliberate uh, guilty on some of the charges, not all the charges? What do you think? Yeah, so I actually think they're going to come back tomorrow. And I th I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're not going to be hung on the conspiracy. I think they're going to be not guilty on the conspiracy, mm -hmm. guilty on all the other things. And the thing that's just bugging me is that the readback or the information they wanted to hear again was defense, a, a defense witness, not any of the state's witness. It was the defense witness. And since they had the majority of the state's evidence throughout this 27 day trial to hone in on that. It's just making me think. So I'm going to go out on the limb tomorrow. It's, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in Vegas. It's going to be tomorrow <laughs> and it's going to be two guilties and one not guilty. 
two guilties and not one guilty. There you go. You heard it from Jonna. And tomorrow we'll see if she's right. If she is right, I'm going to call her up frantically saying, hey, can you get on STS? Because we got to cover this. So she just got herself in trouble. But uh, another amazing panel. Let's obviously keep in mind it's all about uh, Jennifer Farber-Dulos, a beautiful woman. You see her photo up there. Five kids. Um, they are the real victims. They're now living with the mother, Gloria Farber, in New York City, not far from this area of Connecticut. But uh, that is the real tragedy. Uh, tomorrow night, we're going back and revisiting Brian Koberger. Of course, uh, there will be a uh, verdict watch for this. When we do get a verdict, we'll go on uh, live with that verdict. And uh, thank you all for being here. Love you, America. Love you, Jacksonville, Florida. Internet, where are you? What do you have to say? From an undisclosed bunker. Yes, I, I always Deep say underground. Twitter, I'm everywhere. That's where my location is. <laughs> yeah, every, she is everywhere. Undisclosed bunker. And lastly, the definitely not least, John Escobar. Close to Poughkeepsie, New York. Love you all. Till next time. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.